Hello, and welcome to the Teacher's Tribe podcast. I'm your host, Maxine McFarlane, a Jamaican educator living in the United States of America, and I'm a nurturer of minds and hearts. In Jamaica, people say, Passing christening picnic first. Literally, that means a pastor will christen his child first. Well, I deviated from that saying because I engaged educators from the United States and South Africa before having anyone from my beloved Jamaica. The Inspiring Educators series continues this week with two of my colleagues who currently teach first and fourth grade, respectively. I'm very excited to welcome and introduce two special guests, my fellow Yardies, Arlene Stairs and Camilla Roper Robinson. Arlene Stairs was born in the parish of Manchester, but grew up in St. Elizabeth, Jamaica. She spent most of her adult life in the country's capital city, Kingston. She enjoys watching television and listening to most genres of music. Miss Stairs completed a diploma in teaching at St. Joseph's Teachers College in Kingston. She later attended the University of the Caribbean, where she earned a bachelor's degree in education. She taught in Jamaica for nine years and has been teaching in the United States for the past four years. Camilla Roper Robinson was born in Highgate in the parish of St. Mary, Jamaica. She also earned her diploma in teaching from St. Joseph's Teachers College and an undergraduate degree in early childhood education from the University of the West Indies. She also has training in other fields and even ventured into entrepreneurship prior to her teaching career. Camilla taught in early childhood institutions in Jamaica and led various clubs at school. She enjoys participating in her church as well as community activities. In today's episode, they share their individual journeys that led them into the teaching profession and eventually taking on the role of cultural exchange educators in the United States. Stay tuned for our conversation on the other side of this. Passionate teaching is what we do. The joy of learning brings the light to for parents and teachers everywhere. Let's show Ladies, I'm honored to have you as my special guest today on the Teacher's Tribe podcast. Thank you for having us today. It is my pleasure to be here with you. Wonderful. It's so good to have other Yadis with me in the house. You're the first, so <laughs> it's, it's a good experience to have people who I can connect with on a personal level. Thank you so much. They always say it's, it's great to be the first for everything. <laughs> uh, all right. So I've always been curious. I've, we've never really had this conversation before about what brought you into education. Tell me a little bit about your journey to becoming an educator. Arlene, why don't you start? All right. Thank you. I'll go ahead. 
All right. So I'm um, living in Jamaica. I have always wanted to become a police officer or a teacher. Now, when I finished high school, I I was I thought my parents would be supporting me for the rest of my life, to be honest. Are you an only child while you had that idea that your parents would support you forever? Absolutely not. I am actually the last of four. So I I just did not know what the future required of me. So um I left high school and I was like, what am I going to do now? You know, I started asking my father for financial support and he suggested that I get a job. And I was like, How, which job am I going to get? I had no qualifications. I had no skills. So I was now contemplating where is this going to go? So at the time I attended a church in St. Elizabeth, um, my pastor had asked me what is it that I wanted to become and I told him I wanted to become a teacher or a police. So of course he financed me going back to school and I went to from leaving high school I went to Knox Community College. After completing Knox Community College now I was still in the middle of nowhere. I am now qualified but then I still did not have know what the next step is going to be. At the end of attending Knox, I did the police test four times. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, my lack of spelling caused me to not pass the test. So I was like, all right, clearly I'm not supposed to go into the police force. So I'm going to go with my really and truly first love. So I applied to Teachers College and I got through. Of course. So, you know, this is where I'm going to um, start my career. So I went to Teachers College and then in 2008, I graduated Teachers College. And from then, I have been teaching. I'm kind of curious, Arlene, about what led you to have that desire to become a teacher. Were mm -hmm. there other educators in your family or... Were you impacted by a particular teacher? What's what's the story behind that interest? Okay. I I am not aware of any other educators in my family, but I had some very good primary school teachers. And I'm telling you, having seen how they treated me, I just wanted to have that same experience to, to mold minds the same way they did with regards to me and other students. And with that, I really wanted to, you know, to teach. Okay, that makes sense. It, it's just, it just reinforces the idea of how influential a teacher mm -hmm. can be and the positive impact that teachers make on children's lives mm -hmm. every day. Mm -hmm. All right, tell me about your story, Camilla. Well, for me, I have educators in my family. I never wanted to be a teacher. I like hard physical work. So my father is a was a architect and he was a coach. So I was always behind him when he was coaching the boys because I like the physical work. I was on track and I thought I was going to be an athlete. And then my body shape, I used to throw the short foot. So I thought I was going to be big international. 
You were going to be rubbing, you were going to be rubbing shoulders with Shelly and F Fraser Price and the like. <laughs> yes, and I'm like, okay. But, and in my days, we only had black and white. We had no beautiful charts like what we make now or have in our classroom. And I remember that I raised my hand because my mother would teach us, always be respectful. So my mother is a teacher. And, I'll, and I will always say, I am not going to be a teacher like my mother because every day she talks about how she's trying and the students are not getting it. And I'm like, no, I can't do that. I need to be happy. So that's not the job for me. Yeah. I never wanted to be a teacher. It was not in my plan. I like physical activities. So I did too, as Arlene said, I applied for the police force. I got through. I wanted to do the, the soldier to anything that allows me to work outside. Never had the teacher plan. But I remember when I was in fourth grade, I had a teacher. She gave us work. And in my days, we never had beautiful charts in the classroom. It was only black and white. So she wrote on the board and we were reading. But then children were murmuring. We never understood. So I raised my hand and I asked her please to explain or to give us more details. She was reading her newspaper, I'll never forget. And she, 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 she raised the newspaper down and she said, your mother is a teacher. You should understand. Now, I remember also growing up, my father and my mother would always say, be respectful, but don't be afraid to say what you want to say. So I raised my hand again and I said to her, my mother is not my teacher. You are my teacher and I'm asking you to explain. She told me to get out of her class. So I did. I did not go to my mother. My mother was a teacher at the same school she taught grade six. I went to the principal's office. And when he saw me, he said, what is wrong? And I said to him, I'm going to be a teacher because of the teacher I have. Because this is not how you teach students. And he smiled and he said to me, I think you'd be a very good teacher. And even after that, that just went through the breeze. I still never wanted to be a teacher. I grew up and while I was going to high school, I keep on explaining over the work to students and I found myself taking my neighbor's children and I'm assisting them with their homework. And my mother said to me one day, you are going to be a teacher. I said, no, I am not going to be a teacher. Teachers don't make money. I don't like how teachers dress. So I ain't going to be no teacher. And I did everything. I left high school and I started in the food industry. And I was a supervisor for a canteen. Where was the canteen? At a primary school. But I was not a teacher. I was just in charge of the canteen. <laughs> it sounds like you were running, but teaching was running you down. Mm -hmm. I was not a teacher. I was just in charge of the canteen. And then my father, he made a deal with some of his parents because his boys were doing very well. He coached the under 16, they were doing very well in football, but they lacked academic. They weren't doing well in, so he made a deal with the parents for them to stay. They had to go to school. So one day he said to me, can I give you a job? Can you look over these boys book for me and tell me if they're doing work? And I started doing that. And I'm, I'm collecting, you know, I'm collecting my money at the end of the month. And even when I was doing that, I said, I'm not a teacher, but the age of 22, my aunt, she was in charge of a preschool and she said to me, you're always singing songs and making poems. Come and write some songs and poems. So I mean, I just went there reluctantly and I did it. And that was the end of the story. 
Wow. I think that <laughs> principal also planted a seed. The fact that you still remember what he said to you yes. after all these years. What, yes. a dif- what a different, powerful, some of those powerful words can be on the life of a child. The things we remember, you know, I know we might forget bits and pieces of our childhood, but just that profound statement when he said that you would be a great teacher, I'm yes, sure that was an, inspi- an inspiration. And yes. now look at you. Mm-hmm. I, saw him couple, I saw him a couple of days before I came here and I screamed his name and he said, make sure you're gonna tell me you're a teacher. And I said, yes, sir, I'm a teacher. He said, good, now you can come to me. <laughs> Well, well, well. And as you, that's a good segue into my next um, focus for us to talk about. You said before you came here, here referring to North Carolina. Yes, so tell ma'am. us about that journey. Since, you're, since you have the mic, continue, Camilla. Tell, um, continue your story from running away from teaching until it caught up <laughs> with you. <laughs> and now you are teaching in Jamaica. So pick up from there. Tell, tell us how, about a little bit of your teaching experience there and how that transitioned into coming to the United States. Teaching in Jamaica, um, I have learned a lot because I was in both the private and the educate and the government system. In the private system, to me, it was more stressful because you know the parents are more demanding and it's all about their paying. Mm-hmm. So this should be happening and that yeah. should be happening. It was more stressful, but I did what I normally do. I had my way of getting through to the ch- children and the parents going, shifting over now to the government system. I realized that we never had that much stress, but we had, we had different stress. And the different stress was the different social status that the children came from, especially the last school that I was at. We had much stress in regards to all parents, they were not the same. So I was looking for the same thing that came from the private sector. Parents were so enthused and they were so much in there. I remember I gave 20 spelling words. My spellings is always on a Friday. So I give them on a Friday and they have the entire time. And the child got one wrong. I saw the grandmother by the mother's side, I saw the grandfather by the father's side. I met two aunts and I met the father and the mother. So I thought something was wrong. So I, when they called me to the office, I was like, what's the news? And the mother was crying. The grandfather was crying. So I, 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 I was convinced that something was wrong. What was wrong? The child got one spelling word incorrect. They wanted to find out from me. What could they do for the child now? And I was blown away. I that's, could that's, not believe that's that parents, one that's, spelling that's, word. That's, so that, but when I went to the government system now, and I give the same 20 spellings, and children are getting four and five, I stood at the door because I was looking for parents to come to me to find out what is wrong. And that was my shocker. I realized that. I did not have the same group of parents, so I had to do much more work and I had to do, I had to find different strategies so the children would be able to find it in themselves to be motivated. And then the parents would see the difference. And I did what I had to do. And then that's when the parents start coming to me. So I had a switch. I had a a, a, a rude awakening when I when I worked in the different sectors. A parental involvement is different, but you know, yes, maybe ma'am. just to, just to bring a little context to the to to the example, though, many of the parents who would be able to send their children to those private schools, 
have a, maybe have more flexible schedules, maybe they're business owners, you know, based on, on the societal structure. So it's, it doesn't necessarily mean, I'm just saying this for the audience, that the, the parents who send their children to primary schools aren't as interested or as involved, but they maybe wouldn't physically show up as readily as mm -hmm. other parents could because mm -hmm. they're busy out there working, trying to, to support their children, trying to get them to to get a better education so they're mm -hmm. they're they're working and earning not necessarily it's not necessarily an indication that they are not as as um mm -hmm. concerned about their children but it's just the way the society is structured and and what they have to do to make ends meet but it is there is really a, a difference in in both in both cases all right so let's continue the story a little more before i come back to you arlene how long did you continue with that and then what led you to take on this international teaching experience? I never knew about over international teaching job. I never knew about it. I had a co-worker that came to the last school that I was at. And I realized after two years, I did not see the person anymore at school. So WhatsApp was in at this time. So I said, hey, checking on you. I haven't seen you upstairs or downstairs. And about two weeks after the person responded and said, I am not there anymore. I am back here. So I'm like, okay. I didn't say anything else after that. So a week after that, the person said, I realize you don't understand what I'm talking. So I responded and said, no. So he said, I was just on a break because I am doing an international program. I said, oh, that's so nice, but we're going to miss you. Then he said, I recommend you to try it. So he sent me a link and all I did was to fill up the form and that's it. I just filled out the form. I went and did interview. I remember the day, Miss McFarlane, I counted all the persons who came to the interview because I was so early and I had the first seat. I counted not to, I'm normally not nervous, but on that day I was nervous. It's like reality hit me. You're doing a thing to go overseas. I've traveled, but I've never thought about leaving Jamaica to go live overseas. And I counted, it was 75 individuals who came wow. to do the interview and I'm like, you're going to get through. You're not going to get through. That person is going to get through. I was just looking at how they were nicely dressed and all the materials and the equipment they had. And this girl had only one chart and a couple of toppers and some markers. And I said, I'm going to teach. And I just did what I need to do. And it was 12 of us who got through. Wow. 12 out of 75. Yes, ma'am. Hmm. All right. So the, so a new journey started for you. All right. So Arlene, you had your fair share of police chasing you or maybe no, the other way around. You chasing the police, <laughs> you chasing the police dream. But it was clear that education was where you should you should be. So tell us about your journey now. OK, so having completed teacher's college, I started teaching at a primary school in Jamaica. I started off at fifth grade. I must tell you that principal is a female principal. I absolutely love her and I will carry her in my heart forever. I am truly grateful for the fact that she gave me that opportunity 
she saw that, and I'm telling you, she is an absolutely good principal. And if she was able to see teacher in me, to afford me the, the job to teach, to educate her students, I'm super grateful to her for that. So having completed college now, and I started teaching fifth grade, <laughs> the first year when I went there, I got a group of boys. And that's when I knew, started um, finding out how to build relationships with students because I got the boys who in fourth grade would be on the roof, tearing down the school and so on. And having gotten the boys, I was able to tame them. I was able to have a connection with them. So after that first year, the principal was so impressed um, to the fact that I was able to build a relationship with those boys to help them and not only help them emotionally or mentally, but to see them grow. One quick yes. question. I know in different parts of the world, schools are structured differently. So a, a, a class of grade five students, approximately how many students did you have that first year, Arlene? 38, 38 students for my first year. And I'm telling you, immediately I fell in love with teaching, even though I did not know what I was getting into, but I was in love and I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And finishing my first year, I, I went on to teach in fifth grade for two more years and the principal retired. So we got a new principal. And when he came, he said to me, you're not a um, fifth grade teacher, man. You should be teaching sixth grade. You're here early every day. You are responsible. You're, you're fulfilling all that is expected and more. So um, I think I want to try you for um, grade six. Hold on so, a second. Mm -hmm. um, I think I want to bring context to our conversation because yes. I can understand why a principal would choose a strong teacher for grade six. So as you're telling your story, give a little more detail so my listeners can understand what is so special about a, a grade six in our in our primary school setting. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, in Jamaica, grade six is where the kids are prepared for high school. Now, high school is not just a transition from grade six to high school, you are what we would say promoted to a high school based on your academic performance. There are high schools that are that have super high standards and super high expectations in terms of um, academic performance. And, and I would say academic performance, even though there are some people from different sections of the society who can get their kids into those um, traditional high schools, those affluent high schools without the academic background. But for the most part, the kids need to be performing at a certain standard in order to get to those traditional high schools, the top traditional high schools. And a big part of, of that process is mm -hmm. preparing them for the national exams. Exam, right. So that they would sit in, in grade six. Yes. So if you're a grade six teacher, you now have the responsibility to prepare the kids 
to transition to a traditional, to a top traditional high school. Now, at my school, streaming was done. And, and when we say streaming, we, we're talking about taking out the kids who are performing, whose averages are ranging anywhere from 80, 80 to 100. So all of those kids would be pulled into one classroom. Now, when the teacher, when the principal thought that I was grade six teacher quality, he gave me a class. Now, my class was not streamed. They had taken out all the 80s and above 80s average students and put them in a different class. So I had a mixture of all the students. So for the first year of teaching grade six, I had, 20, I had 38 students and 21 of my students went to traditional high schools, right? That's, and, a, big, that's a big accomplishment, especially yes. this is your first year teaching at grade mm -hmm, six. Mm -hmm. So having done that now, um, initially, I didn't tell you, I was afraid. When he announced my name for grade six, I cried. So a friend of mine said to me, why are you crying? Are you crying tears of joy? Are you fearful? I was super fearful because the grade six content is very heavy. So for the first year, I got 21 traditional schools. The second year, I got 30. And the year just before I came here, I got 33 traditional high schools. Was the makeup of your class as similar as in the first year? Absolutely. Absolutely. And with all of that being said and done, the parents, when, when they heard that I was leaving, they were, they were so disappointed because they were preparing their kids to come to my class. I'm telling you, it was absolutely a good experience. And to see the end product of just starting out as teaching, but in to see that you were able to help to groom those minds, to prepare them for their future. Um, I talked to some of them, they are professionals now, you know, they are doing, they're doing good and I'm super proud of them. That's, that's fabulous. Yes. I, I, I held on to something that you said earlier, mm -hmm. Arlene, about building relationships, how important mm -hmm. that is. I'm a big proponent of, of yes. that too. Yes. I, want to, I want to know now, how have you utilized your experience of building relationships with those children in Jamaica? How have you, you brought that into your current teaching situation, teaching in the United States now? All right. Um, teaching in the United States is absolutely different from teaching in Jamaica in terms of emotional stability. Um, some of the kids here, they, they're somewhat hesitant to bond with you at first because of the different cultures. But when you use whatever avenue you have to use to establish and maintain and nurture that relationship, the kids will learn to trust you even though they see you as, I am not sure if I really want to trust this teacher. I'm not sure if she's even a teacher because of the different cultures. So um, having said all of that, 
I used to have morning meetings and during the morning meetings, I would share my, you know, get a little personal with them, not too personal, but, you know, tell them where I'm coming from, what I did there, you know, even tell them about the relationships that I'd had, that I have had with my students in Jamaica, tell them that we're still in contact, you know, just to let them know that you're human and that really and truly you want what is best for them. And I have been teaching here now four years and the kids from my first year, they still find a way to keep in contact with me. They, they are super surprised at the relationship that we were able to build. I have gone to their games. I have gone to their, you know, parties because they saw more than a teacher in 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 the relationship that that we have mm -hmm. so yeah whatever i did morning meeting you know attending their games here and there and even when when i taught um concepts that they did not understand i open up that avenue for them to come and have that one-on-one -on -one time with me building that trust, an environment of trust and security. And that definitely helped in building the relationships. I've often wondered about what it's like teaching, you know, at the top of the elementary level here, because I have the benefit and I think it's beautiful. When I, when my students leave me in second grade, I have a several more years to watch them grow. And sometimes but when they get up to fifth grade and I'm thinking, oh, now they're going off to middle school. Mm -hmm. But I think of a teacher like you who build that relationship for one year and then they're mm -hmm. off to, a yes. different, to another school. Yeah, but the good thing about that is you can keep that connection. You can keep that relationship going. The first, first year when I got here, I met this boy and he, he didn't even knew his potential and nobody took the time out to tell him how smart he is, how the future is in his hands. And when he left, I did not know where he went. And I literally had to have some of the other girls from the class made that connection because I really wanted to see him successful and he is doing a great job amazing amazing what a gift it is though Arlene I love how you how you view it because it's such a gift to be able to be in that position to prepare your students for the next level of their yeah. education yeah it, it is beautiful but what brought you into this international teaching experience all right um hmm. you know things changed and with the change, I thought that I was ready to move on. And somebody said to me one day out of the blues, um, you know, you should try for the international teaching program because I think you have the qualities that it requires. So I was like, okay, I was not interested because I am super not foreign-minded and I don't love change. I like to stay one place. It's a comfort zone for me and I love being in my comfort zone. So I didn't think about it at all. But then, and anything that has to do with um, paperwork, I don't want to do it. I just want simple and I just want sameness. 
So when I had to get police records, that was so out of my comfort zone. When I says, had to says go, the person who wanted to go into the police force. <laughs> right. When I had to go get transcript from the colleges, I was like, mm -mm, this is not for me. I, do, I don't like to be doing those kind of things. So I went through and I still did the process and I was like, okay, you're really doing this. And I did everything on my own on the system. And I was like, oh, cool. So you actually have the potential. And I just finished it up and I got accepted and I decided that, all right, let's try it. For the first year, I was not prepared mentally. I was not prepared emotionally. I was ready to go back to my comfort zone. But thank goodness I did not because um, the same benefits or the same rewards are the same end product that I got in Jamaica. I'm now reaping those same end products here. What was the hardest part of the adjustment for you, Arlene? Um, this, I'm going to be very careful with this part. The hardest part of the adjustment for me was um, relationships building relationships with team. Um, that was a big challenge for me. And it wasn't a challenge for me to get along with people. But when I saw the prejudice that I faced, I was like, wow, I would rather to face this in my own country than to be facing this here. Mm. So that was... That was it for me. I was ready to deal with that in another country, in my own country, not here. So that was the biggest thing for me. Do you think that, that you were impacted because you were used to a certain kind of camaraderie in, with your peers back home and you weren't seeing the same kind of camaraderie while you felt that way? Yes, I was. And all environments you will have... Um, relationships that don't flourish or, or that are not the best. But when you are in a situation where you feel as if you're on your own, you are new to the system, you don't know anything at all. And when you feel as if it is a crime for you to not know, when you feel as if it is, it is, it, it's, it talks about your potential for you to not know something that is new to you. I was not ready to face that kind of prejudice and that kind of selfishness. So I was like, okay, I think I need to go home. So it was a bit more than just a cultural difference because I know sometimes even I've been here for a while too. Some of the ways that we may approach certain things from our mm -hmm. culture is different. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. the thing, some of the things you would maybe say to our parents in our culture and they would understand you would not mm -hmm. say something like that. I think of um, an example. Back when I was first an international teacher here, um, I heard of a, of a colleague in another place who was teaching kindergarten. Mm -hmm. And the child, one of the students fell on the playground, came mm -hmm. over sobbing to the mm -hmm. teacher. And um, the teacher turned you know check to see if the child was okay yeah. and said and said hush mm -hmm. <laughs> and that became a matter with the administrator because the child went home and told the parent mm -hmm. that 
um, he or she fell got and, and was crying and the teacher t- told the child to hush. Now, you know, in this, in this context, hush mm-hmm. is like, be quiet, shut up, right? Mm-hmm. But in our culture, when you tell a child hush, is that is a term of comfort. Like you're saying, like never mind, you know? Definitely. So it, it was just a totally different cultural experience mm-hmm. that was taken out of context and not understood. And that mm-hmm. made it, you know, so much harder. Yeah. to have those those kind of relationship now if if a jamaican child went home and said my teacher told me hush when i fell down that would be mm-hmm. you know showing that the teacher cared yeah. yeah yeah um it was it was beyond what i was expecting i wasn't expecting to be spoon fed but you know just working together and and getting the task done but you survived. You, you I did. On, you, I pulled did. On, you, you pulled on your resilience. I, I don't know how to that is not resilient. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now look at you, four years in. Four years in. Wonderful. So I'm taking it that all hope wasn't lost. You got some support somewhere. Yes, I did. That's... Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. All right. So you are the new person. You don't want it to, and you're coming from a different culture. You don't want to give the impression as if you are the person that is struggling to build relationships, right? So I absolutely got external external support from administration, from other sections in the school. And I'm telling you, it was super. it was a super successful year for me. And I didn't even reap the rewards until the next year. So in Jamaica, you do the GSAT examination. Here you do the EOG. You prepare the kids for the EOG. All right. So um, to make it simple and straightforward, in Jamaica, they have an end of year exam that prepares them for the traditional high school. It is called GSAT. And here in the U.S., they have end of grade exam that prepares them for either the next grade or the next school. And this exam starts at grade um, three, grade four, and grade, well, all the way up to high school. So um, teaching fourth grade is preparing them for that big exam. And it's a big thing, right? So for my first year, I saw the grades i didn't know what they they mean but then in in the next school year i would see a reflection elsewhere that would suggest that you did an absolutely great job because you actually do get paid for how well the kids do in those exams so that foundation in Jamaica was preparing you without you even knowing it. That mm-hmm. that getting children ready for exam, bringing that Absolutely. experience made you stronger in this setting. Absolutely. I always say to myself, Jamaican teachers know how to prepare kids to do well. And um, that experience preparing them for GSAT definitely prepared, helped me to prepare them for their EOGs. Sometimes what we think is a challenge turns out to be a blessing because you use that that experience to help you. Mm -hmm. I'm jumping back to you now, Camilla, because we were, um, Arlene and I were talking a bit about relationships and I started reflecting on what you were sharing before when you were helping, I guess, tutoring those 
those athletes who were on your father's coaching team and how you, I guess, maybe started building relationships in that way. But how is it for you here now that you've transitioned to the United States and you're not you're not doing just tutoring off, off on the side, but you're teaching full time and you are in lower elementary. So tell us about what it's like building relationships in the lower elementary school. The experience is, is much as similar as in Jamaica. I had super relationship with all the classes I taught in Jamaica to the, to the point of where I don't see it. This is me personally. I don't see a child attending school for two to three days. I'll call. I'll, um, in Jamaica, we never had talking points, but I'll, I'll send a message because, you know, children normally go to school that somebody in the school knows where this child lives or is a neighbor or a friend. And I would reach the point where I'll reach the, the children's home. I'll take their homework. But over here in the United States, I have not reached that point where I'll visit the the children's home often I did while when the pandemic just started oh every week I was at my baby's house because I'll make sure I take their their materials to them and things that I know they needed for us to start this online teaching but what I would do I would make sure I introduce myself to the parents because if parents are not comfortable then it's not going to be a good year of teaching and for a teacher as Arlene said you have to be mentally prepared to do your work. So I made sure that I introduced myself to the parents. I'll tell them a little about myself and my do's and don'ts because as a teacher, we can't have an open classroom system or as everything is going to happen that we don't want to happen. So even though we all love our children and we want the best for them, we still need to have our do's and don'ts. And, and my parents, they are cooperative. My second year, my first year, oh, that was that was the year. <laughs> I got some nice boys, as Arlene said. I had a boy, I had a student who just said, he doesn't want a Jamaican teacher to teach him. Does he know about Jamaica? No. He said he's allergic to Jamaican teachers. And he did all what he needed to do. And I was just determined that I'm going to teach. And I just said to him one day nicely, I realized that you're allergic, but this allergic is not bad. It's good because you're here every day and you're learning. So are you really allergic or you're not allergic? And he just looked at me and smiled. Now, it was a case where the first day we had our open day classroom where we're introducing ourselves. A parent asked me, when are you going back to your country? Whoa. Yes. I said, hi, my name is, and he shook my hand and he said, when are you going back to your country? I said, what time are you asking me if they, when this meeting is going to be over? It's going to be <laughs> over this time. And anything else you want to ask me, I would be sure to answer your questions. So I have, uh, I have gotten it in regards to students and parents don't think that I am qualified enough of teaching their they're children, but I'm a Jamaican. Exactly. I am, I am a Jamaican in bone and in flesh. I You cannot allow because somebody said this or you see the action of someone. You don't do what you should do. I did what I have to do. I, I just go to work and I teach and I do it to the best of my ability. As my mother would always say to us, I'm not going to be at your school when we were growing up to watch you, but God sees you. And my father says to us, 
And whenever you're doing something, always do it as if a host of panel is watching you. So I always tell people, I got training both ways, spiritually and physically. So I would just practice to do what I need to do to the best of my ability. And now the relationship I've built with my, I call them my superstars. With my superstars, I let them know stars live in the sky and we can't live in the sky as humans, but our attitude and our work and our character, they will fly high. So persons have to, they can't do nothing else but just to look up and see because they are just radiant. And I, I build relationships with the parents to know that parents are even calling me this morning. Oh, your star wants to talk to you. They say they miss their teacher. So it was a process. It was a slowly but surely because I realized they were feeling you out, so to speak, trying to see if you are real. Because I remember a child asked me if Jamaicans live in real house. <laughs> and I said, yes. But what struck me was when I wore a jacket one day to work in my first year and a teacher said, um, did you buy it at Burlington? No, I didn't even have a clue at that time. Burlington was a name name factory. And I said, no, I brought it from Jamaica. And then the, 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 the adult response was like, Jamaica has good clothes there. Wow. You have good stores there. So then that's when it really got me that persons really think that Jamaica, I don't know what they think about Jamaica. So I, I, I had to take my time to inhale and to exhale. Because I was in, I was in the culture shock. Now this is when the, the the shock of the culture started to to reach me, and I realized, okay, it's, my mom would say, "What would what is your job? It's to educate them. It's to let them know that this is what happens here." So I started to educate, and I started to say, "Yes, this is from Jamaica. We have this here." And I had bought a book before I came, with patois and English. So I would take the book to work on my hall. And I have a special um, teacher friend. She always wants to speak like us. So every day I would say, all right, choose a word and I'll teach you the word. So they start to realize that we say the same things. It might just be in our language. Uh, it means this, but it's the same thing. And we are humans too. I got that culture shock too. And even my second year here, I have parents who said they don't think I'm qualified of teaching their children because they hear me with a different accent. So I had to prove to them that whether I speak English or I'm from a Caribbean country, I am qualified of teaching your child. You would not be hired in this school district if you were not a highly qualified teacher. Yes, ma'am. And I think that goes without saying. But, you know, it's an opportunity for us to educate, like you said, and eventually your actions will speak for itself. Yes, ma'am. Yes, louder than words. These two passionate educators are clearly committed to being agents of change and are dedicated to their students. A couple of Jamaican expressions come to mind when I think of the paths they traveled to get to the teaching profession. Long run, short catch. Mana plan, got a wipeout. They ran away from teaching, but it caught up with them. It's interesting that they both considered joining the police force and other career paths, but it was eventually revealed that they possess natural teaching skills. Culture shock is real, and I'm very proud of these two Jamaicans who used resilience to overcome initial challenges that they faced. 
It takes courage to still give your best when opposition is swirling around you. You're literally living outside of your comfort zone while adjusting to a new culture and education system. The conversation will continue next week as we dig deeper into their interests, community involvement, and how they engage in cultural exchange. Remember to share your thoughts by writing a review on Apple Podcast and leave comments on Instagram and Facebook. Sharing one's culture should be a joyful experience. And when it's done to enrich the lives of others, that's even better. Scott Hayden's quote is a good one to close this episode. He said, Teachers have three loves. Love of learning, love of learners, and the love of bringing the first two loves together. I salute my two guests and all the educators around the world who are engaged in this incredible work of heart every day. Truly loving from the heart. Until next week, walk good and one love. Teacher's strike.